Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Now that we're humming into 2021, almost February, it's almost a month down of the new calendar year. How have you started? How's your pipeline looking? How are you performing against the goals that you set for yourself, either late last year or early this year? I think it's one of the things when it comes to selling that's absolutely crucial is really setting up the formula of what will deliver success and building out the goals and understanding the performance metrics that will enable us to achieve the outcome that we're working towards. If you haven't already done so, that's one of the things that I would suggest doing sooner rather than later, because before you know it, the quarter, the month, the weeks, the year will get away from you and you'll be in a reactive position versus a proactive position. And we all know stress comes from when we're reactive, when we're chasing our tail, when we're just not in control of the outcome that we we desire. And this is why I'm really you know excited to share this week's episode because we're talking to a practitioner, uh, Leslie, who has sold to what I would, you know, what I feel is probably one of the hardest buyers to sell to, procurement, right? Um, And so it's a really interesting conversation that we're going to have about the tactics and strategies that Leslie has, you know, executed to successfully engage and build relationships with procurement to help get her sales over the line. And it doesn't matter if you're selling to procurement or not, the tactics and strategies that she shares are things that every seller can use to improve the sales process. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this episode with her. But, you know, before we get into today's episode, I really want you to think about, and I said this on Mindset Monday um, earlier this week, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it's only short, five or six minutes, get on there to hear it because it's all about kind of planning it's all around planning. It's all about setting the foundation of success. You've heard me talk about this time in and time again, that sales isn't a result of just getting that outcome because you go, well, magic, there it is. There's a magic number that I wanted to get. It's a combination of the mindset, the way in which we show up. It's our relentless focus on building a sustainable pipeline. And then the magic happens. The number, you know, we get our sale number. We might not, but ultimately if we're doing the hard work, if we're showing up every day with that right intent, that right mindset, and we're spending the time building a sustainable pipeline, growing, nurturing relationships, filling the relationship funnel, not just filling the sales funnel, we're going to enable us to have the best chance of achieving success. So really want you to think about that as we progress into the latter half of January, because Again, you don't want to be chasing your tail. You don't want to be in a point of being reactive because that can just cause, you know, just unwanted stress. And we've had enough stress from 2020. 2021 is about breaking the shackles and going above and beyond and achieving, you know, things that we might not have achieved in 2020. So, yeah, enjoy this episode. This is a really good episode. We're going to talk about some of those tactics and strategies that you can use immediately to enhance relationships across every element of the operation or the organization that you're chasing. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard. the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy 
for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them, which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor, get to vidyard.com, sign up and start using video in your sales process. So buckle up, enjoy the episode because I know I took a lot away from this. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you so much. All right, really excited to have you on. And uh, before we get stuck into today's topic, and I don't know where this is going to go, so this could go anywhere, but I uh, would love to learn a little bit more about you and how you started in the world of sales. You're keeping me on my toes, Luigi. It's a good start. <laughs> I love it. Um, how did I start in sales? I, I think it's a really common story. I absolutely just stumbled into sales. Um, wasn't the the career, the profession I, I pictured myself being in, um, you know, in university or, or even um, moving to Chicago. But I moved from Montana to Chicago without a job applied for a ton of different positions in marketing and nonprofit management and events, and finally took a position with a a British business intelligence and events company with the guys. It was a sales position, but I I took it very much with the guys that like, I'll just wait it out in the sales position until an event position opens up. And then I'll get them to transfer me to, to that department. But within a couple of weeks, I realized sales was it. I, I loved it. And, yeah. you know, here we are over a decade later. Wow. And what's been sort of the biggest learning of the journey so far? Ooh, the biggest learning? Wow. I think something that has really stuck with me because I got it so wrong early on in my career was the importance of your personal brand and separating Mm. that from your company's brand and and just really protecting your integrity at at all costs. Um, I I, I don't think that I I got that right straight out of of college. I don't think I put enough of a a priority on that and, and certainly harmed my reputation um, in, in the early years of my career. So I, I think that's maybe been the most important learning and, and something that I am just very thoughtful and intentional about now. Okay. So brand, personal brand is something that if you could go back and do it again, it maybe approach that a little bit differently. I would. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I mean, I've always like had a lot of pride in, in my integrity yeah. in sales, but I think I would have, I think I, I would have made some choices differently and I may not have towed the company line <laughs> as, as closely yeah. as I did. Oh, I think we've all been there, right? I think uh, we learn, we learn through experience. So, um, you know, I'm not the sales professional I am today with high integrity and ethics um, that I was, you know, when I first started, um, there was always that gray line and I was always comfortable pushing that gray line thinking, well, I'm getting the outcome that I want, but I quickly learned that, you know what, you're making a sale, not a customer. So, you know, and you've got to go through that process. You've got to go through that process of, you know, <laughs> of learning. Um, so, you know, fast forward today. And, and one of the things that I, I, I'm finding interesting is that you're working 
in a, in a role where you're actively selling and then you're also consulting and coaching salespeople to be the best they can be. So that's a quite an interesting sort of environment that you've created for yourself. You know, I like to keep myself busy, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, a day job um, yeah. selling to to procurement, which I think is just interesting in and of itself. Um, and then I have a, a, a side gig um, with the, a sales consulting company I started called Sales Team Builder. But that's really for me just about helping people, like you said, uh, achieve their personal best. And, uh, you know, that, that's more of a feel good kind yeah. of side gig. And will that, will that feel good ever become the day job? You know, it's so interesting that you asked that. So I was talking to to one of my mentors, a, a guy called Josh Braun. I don't know if you're oh, connected Josh with him. Josh Braun, the, uh, yeah, yeah. the email. He's like an email <laughs> champion. I, I've got to get him on my yeah. podcast, actually. People keep telling me. People keep telling me how good he is. And I follow a lot of his content. But yeah, absolutely. I love Josh Braun. He's amazing. He's an a, a amazing mentor. Uh, but, it, you know, we were talking about where I, I see myself and why I do this consulting and why I've lost my dang mind. And I've started this, this sales <laughs> tips talk on, on TikTok and I'm, I'm working on some other side projects as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, I would say my goal is freedom, the freedom mm. to do the type of work I want with the type of people I want, when I want, where I want. I'm not sure if that's going to be through sales team builder or through something else, but I do know for now, at least Luigi, that I love working in a corporate structure. I love having a team. I, I love having people I can bounce ideas off of. I, I, I really, for at least the foreseeable future, um, love striking the balance between that, that very normal day job mm. with a team, with teammates, and then still being able to explore new different ways of working and, and um, opportunities to support people through that, that side gig. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you've got a very clear picture on what your why is and what the role will enable you to achieve, but you've also got some, some key needs of what the corporate structure delivers. It's a balance, yeah. right? And I mean, no organization is perfect. And, you know, I think for me, I, I kind of gave up on that concept that I'm going to find the perfect job mm. at the perfect company that's going to fulfill all of my needs. And instead, I, I, you know, have this great job for a great company. I take it for what it's worth and, uh, you know, use things like my side gig or even like volunteering that fulfills some of those other needs for me that, that create the full, the full yeah. picture. So when we look at the world of selling, right, I think this is what I'm really liking about this conversation is like I said, you've got that picture of what, of what the future needs to look like for you. Right. And, um, and what you're doing now is a vehicle for you to get there. In your opinion, like when you look at selling, how important is it for sales professionals to really uncover that why? that motivation that sits underneath. Like you're talking to procurement leaders all the time who could be described as quite analytical, no emotion. <laughs> you know, they, they're looking at Excel spreadsheets and comparing providers and basically at the end of the day, looking at price. How do you go in there and actually try to help them look past the Excel sheet and find that emotion? Yeah, that is such a, a great question. And I think 
you know, for, for almost my entire career, I've managed people. And one of the things I, I realized very early on that was counterintuitive for me is that it's rare that a salesperson's top motivation is money. Mm. I'm sure that you've probably uncovered that in your own, own life or, or, you know, read reports on, on that. And so when I realized that money wasn't the number one motivator, it, it made me have a hard look at what does motivate people. Is it recognition? Is it appreciation? Is it, um, you know, being able to provide for their family? Is it money, but by mm. way of, I want to go on this vacation I've dreamed yeah. of my, my whole life. So, you know, I, I think we all have these, um, sub motivators, these internal motivators. And, you know, just like anybody, procurement leaders, procurement officers put their pants on one leg at a time and, <laughs> and they have those motivations. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's too often that we view them as being hugely analytical. And that's not to say that we don't need to give them hard data on the ROI to base decisions on. They are making commercial decisions, but we need to understand what what motivators sit behind that? And is it, um, you know, risk aversion? Is it fear of, of missing out? Um, is it just being able to save time and, and make a better decision so they can use that time to go home and hang out with their kids? But um, yeah, yeah. procurement folks are, are an interesting bunch, but they're certainly not like the one dimensional analytical group <laughs> that just that slams our deals, <laughs> slams the brakes on our deals at, at the end of the road that we think they are. Because I think we've all been, look, I definitely have been there, right? I've been there where I've worked tirelessly on a larger deal. So not necessarily such a small deal, right? But I've worked tirelessly. And to my mistake, I didn't try to research or didn't find out what the procurement policy of that organization was. And then I got to a point of, you know, of acceptance. And then at the last minute it was, well, hang on a second. Our internal procurement policy says we need to now go to tender because it's over a certain amount of value, right? So they're saying it's triggered something. And, you know, from my perspective, that was my fault, not knowing that, that I should have prepared for that. But, um, and so often you kind of forget about the procurement process or forget about the fact that there's somebody else that's going to be part of the decision-making process. I mean, from your perspective, um, given that you sell to procurement all the time, do you bring them on the journey earlier in the process and risk them kind of, you know, having a, having a very, a very, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Singular view. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that the short answer is yes. So, you know, I'm very lucky in my job that I, you know, on a weekly basis get to talk to 10, 12, 15 chief procurement officers from the Fortune 1000. And, and I can tell you, Luigi, that something that I hear from them as a pain point in almost every conversation is that they just want to get closer to their business partners, so our customers, yeah. and they just want to be involved earlier in the process. Mm. Procurement is, they're eager to help. They're eager to understand the needs of their, their business partners. And what I think we as salespeople fail to, to recognize is that procurement sits in the business in a way that they have sort of that 360 degree view that 
nobody else really like marketing doesn't have a 360 mm. degree view of the business. Neither does sales, neither does legal or HR, you know, you name the, the function. Um, so procurement is able to lend insights and, and to create sort of cross-functional ties in ways that other groups can't, that our customers probably can't. So the short answer is yes, yeah. get them involved at the beginning. I think the longer answer is get them involved in a way that is meaningful, not by just giving them a seat at the table, but mm. by giving them a seat at the table and then saying, what can you tell us that we wouldn't know otherwise? Yeah. So you talk about a meaningful seat at the table. What what have you done when you've been um, faced with a procurement leader that's really only looking at the spreadsheet and not the, you know, the business outcomes that this can lead to? Are you just describing my Q4? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a challenge. That's not just a challenge with procurement, right? It's a challenge that when there's multiple stakeholders, because obviously if you're if you're selling into procurement, then that means your deal value is quite high. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're selling larger base deals. Um, and I think for most larger base deals, you're not selling to one single decision maker. There's multiple people involved in the decision making process. Yes, some would call them influencers, strategic coaches, all that stuff, right? There's all these terms, but, but ultimately there's a, there's a little committee and not always on that committee, everybody's going to be on your side, right? And somebody is looking at it with the lens of a spreadsheet or a number, not looking at the outcome because they're not emotionally connected to the project. What do you do in that situation when you've got somebody there that isn't emotionally connected and they are purely looking at the bottom line? Yeah, two things popped into my head straight away. One is that it could be really useful to understand who procurement's executive sponsor is if you're getting procurement involved in your Mm. your deals um, because they don't often report to the CEO. They usually report to either a COO or a CFO. So that's going to tell you a lot about procurement's motivations. And clearly if the reporting line is to a CFO, they're going to be much more dollar and cents focused. So, you know, that might be something to uncover and, and research very early on in your sales process because it could change how you're communicating value to, you know, to your customer, to the, the broader stakeholders. Um, but in, in thinking about your question, Luigi, when you run into a specific individual that is just mm. a blocker, to still a challenger phrase, um, <laughs> I... You know, if they're really a blocker, like there is nothing that I'm going to be able to tell them that that's going to change the way they perceive the value. I'm not going to waste my time. What I do see is that salespeople will think they've encountered a blocker when they're actually just encountering a cynic that's asking tough questions. Uh, yep. So differentiating between a blocker and a cynic is so important because if you have a cynic, embrace that person, yeah. have them ask those hard questions, get out all of those objections. It's, it's just going to make this, the sales process stronger and it's going to allow you to build more value in the long run. That's a really, you know what, I never thought about it like, that's really interesting. So cynic versus blocker. Cynic, they're just questioning what's happening. So they've got some information that they need before they can come on board and actually accept the journey. And a blocker truly has another ulterior motive sitting behind 
that we haven't uncovered, right? And that's the reason why they're blocking. So that's really interesting. So first determine between the cynic and the blocker. Um, and what other strategies do you use? Because obviously if you're selling larger base deals, you've got multiple stakeholders. What other strategies do you use to encourage other stakeholders to get involved in the sales process? Um, you know, a lot of things I would say I'm really active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I know you are as well. I, I find LinkedIn to be an extraordinarily valuable tool because if you were waiting to get influencers involved when it's a sales process, I'm using air quotes there, like it's almost too late. You know, you want to, to have those individuals interacting with you, interacting with your brand, your product before there is a sales process to be mm. had. I think that's, that's really important. I'm, a work in progress on that. Yeah. I think we can can always do better in terms of leading with, you know, meaningful insights, leading with actionable awareness. But that is the, that's something I'm very focused on. Um, related to LinkedIn, I am very uh, intentional about multi-threading. I don't know if if that's a phrase that folks are familiar with, but it generally just means reaching out to all of the influencers. Yeah. So, you know, multi-threading an account, if, if, you know, company X is somebody that's on my top 100 campaign list, or it's somebody I know my SDRs are going after, or maybe a meeting's already been set and I, I you know, I see it hit my calendar. I'm going to take the time to go to LinkedIn or, or go to the sales nav, whatever, you know, whatever uh, tools you're using and find everybody else that I think is going to influence the decision and send them an invite to connect. And it's not an ask for anything. I'm not asking for their feedback. I'm not asking them to get on a call with me at this point. I'm, I'm just connecting with them so I can be in the space where my customers yeah. and my influencers are so I can hear what they're talking about. So just on that, do you do that? Like, even if you haven't met them yet, but you know they're going to become part of the sales process, you go and proactively engage with them first. Yep, 100%. That's great. And do you tell them why? Or, it's great or creepy, depends <laughs> on your take. <laughs> I've, I've said it work really well for me. No, I don't tell them why. So do you like, do you contextualize, like do you customize and say, hey, John, you know, want to connect because A, B, and C, or do you just send a, a random connection request? I generally send a, a request that's pretty similar uh, across the board, yeah. which is something along the lines of, um, you know, Luigi, hi, I saw X, so something personal about you. I saw you comment on X or I saw in your profile this, so something to make it kind of relevant, but not overly personalized. And then I say, you know, I frequently share procurement research and insights that I know you'll find valuable it would be good to have you in my network. That's pretty cool. That's, um, I like the, the start. That was like a Josh Braun special. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so, so you connect with them. So you're proactively reaching out to them even before you start to engage with them in the sales process so that that way they can start seeing the content that you share and your brand or the point of view that you've got will help elevate you in their eyes so that when they finally do encounter you or they finally do engage with you in the sales process, there's a form of connection there already. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what my hope yeah. is. Have you interacted with my brand? Have we built some credibility, some emotional attachment before I ask you for anything? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and you do that for pretty much for all your deals. I do. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's it. You know, that's a great, really good strategy. It's, it's funny, you know, like, um, 
I kind of I kind of flip on that. Sometimes I do invite people beforehand. Um, sometimes I kind of give, you know, I, I try not to put too much tension on the sales process early. I try to allow it to build its own momentum. Um, and then sometimes I try to slow it down if I feel that it's going too fast. Um, and it just needs a bit more time for, for you know, in, in some cases. It's really interesting. So, um, and what are some of the other strategies that you've learned when it comes to, you know, landing strategic accounts that, I mean, if or let me actually flip this. What is the deal that you lost in your career? Mm. What's the one that got away that if you could go back and do it again, you you know, you would actually have made that one change? Because we've all got oh, that deal, man. right? Yeah, uh, there's one that I lost this year. Damn. And I mean, it was like, stage seven in Salesforce. <laughs> like I, we were forecasting this. It was 90%. It was, it was, was 90%. Uh, yeah, it was, it was happening. Huge company, you know, 10, 10 billion plus um, paper and packaging companies. So I was like, yeah. they, you know, they have the money. It, pandemic isn't affecting them. They're, you know, <laughs> pumping out all this corrugated paper. Like I, I got this. And <laughs> what I failed to do two things. One, they were using a competitor and I failed to really make sure that they understood that the the pain of same was greater than the pain of, of change. Um, mm. They, you know, they were, were not unhappy with, the, they weren't happy with the status quo, but they weren't unhappy. And I just did not do enough to, to create that sort of risk aversion or that aversion to the status quo. That was one thing in, in retrospect that I should have done more of. And the other area that I made a mistake was that I, I was wooed by a talker. I was, I was wooed by a guy who I thought was a mobilizer. Yep. Cause he said all the right things and he had all the right answers to my questions and if I'm being honest, I just I really liked him. Um, mm. And because of that, I just, I didn't push him hard enough. And I, I just, I did not follow up with enough clarity around the expectations of, of where the sales process needed to be going. Um, and so when it, it came down to the decision, the entire time he told me that he had been chatting, it was, it was not the CPO that was sort of my, my mobilizer or who I thought was my mobilizer. Uh, and the entire time he had told me that he was, you know, talking weekly with the CPO about, you know, X, Y, Z things and everybody was on the same page. And then it, it got to that final call with the CPO for the decision and absolutely nothing had been related back to him. And he decided to stay wow. with the competitor. So That's really interesting. To, <laughs> So yeah, two big mistakes. So you're, you got single stakeholder sensitive account mm-hmm. and the expectations on the sales process weren't explicit enough so that it, it didn't create enough clarity on next steps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I did not, the entire time I should have, you know, I, I think been asking, okay, you know, person mobilizer that I'm talking to, you said that you talked to CPO about this. What specific feedback did the CPO give you? What specific questions did the CPO ask you? I, mm. I really should have probed deeper and pushed harder and not just taken this gentleman's word for it. Because yeah. in the end, 
he had been lying the entire time. <laughs> Why do you think? Was it to get a better deal from his current provider? Was it to get some insight into to help him with his approach? Because I know that, you know, one of the things that I hate about, you know, what we do is some companies think it's okay to extract information from sellers before they buy from them, right? And mm -hmm. it's, it, you know, they, they, they forget that their time is valuable, which is funny because they're paying a sales force usually that are doing the same thing. And I think there is a little bit of a lack of respect sometimes. We think we can kind of extract stuff pre-sales, which part of it I'm okay with. I'm okay about giving stuff before people buy because that's how that's one of the reasons why we, we build such great relationships. But I think um, some companies do it with the intent where they know they're actually not going to buy, but they're using it as a mechanism, whether it's to, you know what, I need to get a quote from you and I need to get some information from you because I need to validate this purchase that I've already got, that I'm already confirmed with, but I need to go to you anyway. But I'm going, I know I'm in intentionally going to waste your time. Um, that's happened to me a few times. I don't know if it's happened to you, uh, but you get called into a process, you start the process and then you realize, mate, we never had a chance at this because they already made a decision with somebody else and as part of their procurement process was they needed to validate three prices. Um, I've just gone off a tangent there, right? But if, we, <laughs> but if we take it back to that particular deal, do you think, did he have another motive sitting behind that? Yeah, I think he had, I think he had two motives. I think one was just the, like the feeling of importance. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't even a direct report to the CPO. He was, he was minus two. And so I think he felt important that he was asked to, to be in charge of this. Yeah. And he liked having me on the line, listening to everything he had to say and really soaking it up and doing the <laughs> oohs and the ahs. Yeah. And so, you know, I think part of it was, was that he, he was a talker and he liked having an audience. And then to your point, Luigi, he absolutely used my contract to go back to his current provider and get a better price because he told me he did. Oh, wow. <laughs> just, just told Man. me. So, he did. <laughs> so when does that contract come up for renewal? End of next year now. So will you be going over his head straight to the CPO? I have them. I have them all in a nurture cadence right <laughs> now. I have I have both of them, and then I have a couple of the other decision makers that I was in touch with. Um, but yes, definitely, mm. I will. And I, I mean, I think at that point, it's it's okay to say being candid with you last year, I had many, many conversations with mobilizer X. And at the end of the day, I realized that much of that discussion was not making it to you. Mm. And ultimately this is your decision. And ultimately this is your team. So I'm either going to have the dialogue with you or, or this just isn't a mutual fit and we're not having the dialogue yeah. again because I'm, I, you know, fool me once, fool me twice sort of thing. Yeah. And, and how do you lead that conversation? Like what type of, is it, is it, product first or outcome? Is it outcome focused? Hey, Mr. Outcome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely outcome focused. Mm, that's really interesting. You know, that's awesome that you're thinking about that as going, hey, I've already got my talk track around how I will position it with that person if you're going over somebody's head. Because I think a lot of sales professionals, they fear going over somebody's head or going around mm -hmm. somebody that they're dealing with because they come become sensitive then only dealing with one person and that creates quite a high risk with the account. Um, so I love the way that you're thinking already is, you know, how are you going to go around that person um, and engage yeah. directly with the decision maker? 
And, you know, that made me think of something else that uh, makes multi-threading very, very useful prior to, mm. to having the sales process start or having the meeting set up is that if I am calling you and let's say you are, are not the CPO, um, but I, you know, I want to do a little phone research. I want to fill things out, but I do not want to allow you to own this process. I, you know, I don't want to hear the dreaded, go ahead and send something over and I'll socialize it at the end. If you start the dialogue by saying, yeah, you know, Luigi, I'm also talking to, to June and I've had some correspondence with Simon and, mm. and exchanged some emails with Dan, you're starting the conversation by letting them know that, that you're not coming to them to, to be your champion. Yeah. Or you're not putting any pressure on them to be your champion. And if that kind of organically happens and that's where it goes and it makes sense, then great. But it takes some of that power away from them and it takes some of that, that pressure away from them at the beginning of the, the dialogue. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I really like that. And I just want to ask a quick question about sort of, you know, if you can go back and do it all again, right? So if you had the opportunity to start your sales career again, apart from the personal brand element, what's one thing you would do immediately in your new role? So if you had to start again, start a new sales role, what's one thing you know delivers incredible results every single time? Oh my gosh, I don't know if I have an answer for this off the top of my head. What is one thing that I know delivers incredible, re- uh, cold calling. Cold calling. I do. I have an answer. It's cold calling. <laughs> I love cold calling. And I just, I'm so sick of the, the, you know, clickbait. Cold calling's dead. It's not dead. No, it's never going to be dead. <laughs> people like talking to other people, even if you're not reaching a decision maker, being able to use cold calling to understand who the decision maker is, get different direct dials, mm. uncover what the needs are in the organization. It is such, full, such a useful tool. So I, I don't know if I necessarily yeah. would do that differently because I started out on the phones making like, you know, 200 some calls a day, every day for, for many years. I was like a, a proper cold caller straight out of college. Yeah. But I, you know, I think that reinforces how useful it is. And, you know, it's an incredible skill set that you should flex early and keep in your toolbox throughout your career. I'm so aligned with that. And that's why I wanted to ask what you would do again versus what you would do differently, right? Because there's strategies we know that work quite well. And I think you're right, clickbait, cold calling, it is far from dead. I saw a report from HubSpot that shows email open rates since the uh, pandemic started. Mate, they're horrible. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, more people are sending emails, but less people are opening them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and phone, phone can cut through all that. Um, and you're right. You know, I started in the same school, um, boiler room type of contact center. <laughs> Man, we didn't have no dialers. We didn't like. We didn't have no chorus or anything like that. It was literally touch. We pad. did not have computers. No, at our we desks. had no. We had a, we had a bloody, Yeah, <laughs> I had a sheet. I had a ruler. <laughs> Um, and on a pen, man, <laughs> and it was touch dial, and we still, and you know what, we still had to make 150, 200 dolls, um, without all the automation. So I think you know yeah. some, some of the sales pros today and some of the SDRs don't know how good they got it with it all these works. technology stacks. Um, I know. I was on a training this morning. I asked my, it was like a, a SDR prospecting team. And I asked if any of them had ever worked for an organization that didn't have Zoom info <laughs> and none of them had. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man, wow. You know what? I, I, okay. I, I, you're right. I think and that's why we, we kind of forget, you know, we, we forget today that, and this is in my eyes, um, I truly believe the philosophy of sales hasn't changed. 
um, the philosophy of sales is is always going to be the same. If there's if there's a value, if somebody needs what you've got and there's value and they can see the value, they'll make the investment, right? And there's relationship Absolutely. and there's all that stuff that sits around it. But the technology in which we use that enables sales professionals and businesses has changed, right? And you're right. The fact is back in the day, um, we didn't have a person's name. We didn't have a person's phone number. Like now we can get direct dials, validated data and know that that mobile, that email address exists. I know their role. I've already sped up. And I think, I think that is actually kind of hindered our industry because there's a lot to be learned finding out, like being curious, looking at reports, um, looking at a company and going, wow, this company has somebody on the board of that company and that person, like it's, there's actually a, there's a learning and it enables you to be curious and thinking and, and, and think differently when you've got to create your list from nothing. That's how we did it, right? We had to literally yeah. go, right, whether it was Yellow Pages or I had to go out in the street and drive in industrial parks to see the companies and write them down, maybe go in, knock on, who do I speak to, get told to you know, get lost or that's the person, then go back and build my list manually. You know, That was hardcore, right? But I think there's a lot to be learned by doing that. It's kind of like the school of hard knocks, but it's enabled mm -hmm. me. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, do you think that we're kind of missing that in in the in the modern day sales environment? I do. I do. I, I you know, in the training I led this morning, I probably used the phrase "put on your detective cap" five times. <laughs> That's for, good for for that exact reason. And and you know, you've probably seen on my LinkedIn headline one of my you know phrases or whatever is endlessly curious. Uh, because, you know, having to, you know, maybe this is a, a couple years later, but going to, to Google Maps and zooming in to say, okay, well, I, uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to pitch this company or I'm going to meet this company and here are all the other companies yeah. around it that maybe I can use that in an impact statement or see them at the same time or, um, you know, going to a competing event and pulling up their speaker list and understanding how those folks are maybe, you know, speaking at the same events as other folks that are already members or, or have already purchased my product. So certainly creating those webs and creating those ties to, to have a chance to reach out in a way that's, that's not just personalized, but relevant and meaningful. I don't think that's lost. And, mm -hmm. and what I find, and, and tell me if you agree, but what I find is that now there are simply too many conversations. There's too much focus on what your sales tech stack looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And there just aren't enough conversations happening about what your customer 100%. needs. And, and you know, I, I think we've lost our way a bit, but that's okay because that means that the best sales people, you know, that, that cream will still Correct. rise to the top if you care about your customer and you, you, you know, bringing it back to the beginning of our conversation, if you have that why that drives you. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Wrong metrics, tech stacks, you know, things that we kind of forget. It's actually really basic. We've got a buyer. They've got a need. We need to understand them, what their motivations are, what they need, what their outcomes, and then just create an experience that's going to enable them to get to that point of outcome. Um, and we kind of forget, you know, all those tech stacks, they're completely irrelevant. If we can't create that experience, if we can't create that unique buying experience for them, then all the tech stacks that do, they're just kind of 
they're there for the sake of being there because, um, mm. you know, mm. so it's really interesting. But look, we could talk about this topic for hours. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think we've, we've pivoted a few ways and a lot to learn. But um, before we wrap up, where can our listeners find a bit more about you and connect and engage with you? Absolutely. Well, I just launched my TikTok channel at <laughs> Sales Tips Talk. Sales oh, Tips Talk. All right. Oh, we'll gosh. put that in the show notes. So please follow me there. Um, I'm, you know, dropping new content three, four or five times a day, every day. And people tell me it's good. So um, <laughs> fingers crossed. And then as always, I am on LinkedIn. So linkedin.com slash in slash Leslie Vanette. So please find me there. Send an invite to connect. And Luigi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I haven't done the TikTok thing. I oh, just, I'm slow. I'm slow. I'm slow. I don't know if I can do it. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll go check your, your profile out. Um, but look, thanks for uh, coming on to the show. Thanks for the contribution you make. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. I know our listeners will get a lot out of this. It's very tactical, and I think there's a lot of learning for both strategic accounts and also you know, smaller accounts on what people can do to, to, to be the best they can be. So thanks very much for coming on the Sales IQ podcast. <laughs>